This is a podcast from the South China Morning Post. Hi everyone, welcome back to a new episode of Inside China Tech. I'm Zen Su, a tech reporter with the South China Morning Post. And today I have with me SCMP's tech editor, Chua Kong-ho. Hello, everyone. So this week, we have a really incredible story where we get a very exclusive sort of behind-the-scenes look on what a content regulation team at one of China's largest live streaming platforms does. So this story is coming at a very pertinent time because social media platforms like Facebook are under a lot of pressure right now from you know governments around the world to regulate live streaming and other inappropriate content on their platform after the Christchurch mosque shootings in March. Singapore has put out a proposed law to regulate, you know, fabricated news. UK has put out a policy paper on how to regulate online harms. And Australia has already pushed through legislation to hold social media companies accountable for violent content published on their platform. Kongho, so tell us a little bit more about this story. Why is it so special? Our colleague uh, Meng Jing in Beijing paid a special visit to Changsha, which is in the central part of China, to one of China's largest live streaming companies called Inca. So what they do there is to house a team of 1,200 employees where they do nothing but look at live streams on the company's platform and to remove any material that is deemed to be objectionable or has uh, run afoul of the country's uh, internet censorship rules. Now, for those people who are not uh, that familiar with China's uh, censorship regime, uh, the uh, common term for it is called the Great Firewall. Um, It is a system of access controls. Uh, For those people who may have landed in China at the airport, you might find that your Facebook doesn't work. Uh, Some of the news websites uh, overseas that you commonly read also do not work. And when you're in China and you're surfing the web, there will be terms that are censored. Uh, This may include uh, politically sensitive terms. Uh, Some obvious examples would be about Tiananmen, uh, about uh, banned uh, religious uh, organizations, uh, and so forth. And what makes this story Uh, So interesting is that it provides a very rare glimpse at the inner plumbing of China's uh, censorship regime. Uh, If I were to use analogy, these are really the frontline troops uh, in China's war to clean up the internet. So let's hear it from Zhi Hong, who is the head of the content security team at Inca. We are like sanitation workers, but we don't clean up roads or residential areas. We clean up cyberspace. My name is Zhi Heng. I'm in charge of the content security department of Hunan Inco Company. As a content monitor, I need to make sure the live streams are totally legitimate. That's my duty, and I take it to heart. So it's interesting that Zhi Heng describes the team as sanitation workers because, you know, this really shows how China views censorship as removing content that's undesirable, you know, to what the Chinese government wants. But The question, I think, about this so-called undesirable or inappropriate content is that what's unacceptable or undesirable to one person might not necessarily be to another. Most people agree that content such as uh, child pornography, uh, terrorism, uh, related propaganda, uh, and other kind of 
obviously uh, out of bounds uh, content should be censored. Um, I don't think anyone would disagree with that. But what is uh, kind of unique about China is that something as innocuous as uh, smoking on a live stream is also deemed objectionable because the government does not want to promote it. I think the fear is that uh, having uh, people uh, smoking on screen would project uh, the idea that it's cool and then you know people would emulate it. So it's not even just smoking, right? Even for tattoos, like extensive tattoos, I believe, are also considered not appropriate for something like live streaming. Yes, you can't show all the ink that you have, even though you know tattooing is is acceptable in most parts of the world. Uh, you know, uh, many people uh, would think that it's uh, body art, even. Yeah. So uh, let's see what Zhi Hong has to say about that. Uh, Our team needs to monitor all the content, including video, audio, photos, and text, which are published on the app legitimately. So far, our team has about 1,200 people. Every single live stream is processed by our system when it starts, using things like time delay and screen capture. Then, the streams are classified using our image recognition system. If a user is identified as a high-risk target, we will monitor them carefully. Basically, smoking is the most frequent irregular behavior during live streams. Many users don't know that smoking is not allowed during live sessions. Another irregular thing is showing tattoos, especially extensive tattoos. Vulgar behavior is another example. If someone, for example, tries to review her cleavage, it can be easily defined as vulgar behavior. If offenders refuse to correct irregular behavior after a warning, we will blacklist their accounts. If someone goes even further and crosses the line by showing private parts depicting violence or terrorism, we shut down the account directly without any warning. So one thing to note, though, is that this kind of moderation team or censorship team is not unique to Inker or social media companies in China. So uh, companies like Facebook or YouTube, they also have uh, teams that regularly uh, review what is allowed and what is banned. And they also employ technology to uh, help them to identify, to flag and to remove uh, such content. But one big point of difference is that the what is allowed and what is banned comes from the top. So the team at Inker, they derive the guidelines on what is objectionable and what is not from the, from the authorities. They also consult uh, legal experts to advise them on uh, some of the gray areas or the trickier areas. Uh, where else for a platform such as Facebook, it is pretty much community-based where users flag content that they spot as offensive, uh, whereupon it will be reviewed. Yeah, so that's exactly right. I think a large part of China's objective in censoring and regulating content online or in the media is to prevent any sort of you know public disorder or protests that the Chinese government deems could upset social order. So yeah, here's a prime example you know where Zhihong tells us of how Inca managed to stop something like that. The most memorable incident so far was a case involving local government plans to build a refuse incineration plant near a city in China. Possibly due to a miscommunication from the authorities, the local citizens raised concerns 
As a result, they gathered to protest. We located the scene and used it as a center point to draw a circle with a radius of 10 kilometers on a GPS map. All users in that circle were not allowed to livestream. In the end, we prevented the incident from getting worse. Yeah, so I think what we heard is pretty amazing because Zhe Hong basically admitted that Chinese social media platforms basically will sort of shut down kind of live streaming activities, for example, in order to quell something that the Chinese government might feel is disrupting public order. I don't think this could happen in countries like the US or the UK or in Australia even. Yeah, if, if you've ever gone on uh, Chinese uh, social media, you would know that it's uh, very vibrant. Uh, and for the most part, uh, people are, are free to express themselves. I mean, if you looked at any of the uh, uh, TikTok or Douyin uh, videos, uh, you know, people uh, dancing, singing, and, you know, doing uh, stupid stunts. Uh, it is very vibrant. Uh, and, you know, pretty much they are left to be able to do uh, pretty much uh, what they want to do. You know, for the most part, they're able to uh, create a lot of uh, content about their daily lives and that's okay. Uh, but what sometimes we forget is also that there is a lot of technology at the uh, that uh, the government or uh, companies like Inca can use uh, to uh, control the content. Uh, I remember uh, back in 2008 when I was living in Shanghai uh, and there was this huge earthquake uh, in Sichuan and there was a day of national mourning, uh, I think about one or two weeks after, I think it was a week after the uh, uh, disaster. And it, it stuck in my mind and I mentioned this because on that day when you go on the web, everything was blocked and everything was redirected to official websites. Uh, if you tried to... Um, all the VPNs were blocked. Uh, and if you switched on the television channels, they all defaulted to CCTV and the official programming. Everything was black and white. Uh, for why, why do I mention this? It, it was just a very stark reminder of what the government is capable of doing in terms of controlling the internet. So you mentioned earlier that, that obviously a lot of technology goes into sort of helping to regulate the content because the stakes are very high, right? Like... Like there, like companies like Inca or any social media platform are expected to toe the line as to what the government thinks is or isn't acceptable. So you know, in in our story, you know, what struck me as very interesting was Zhi Hong saying that a live stream is not exactly a live stream because there is a buffer, basically, of several seconds, which which gives them time to decide whether or not a stream is. Legitimate. Yes, the uh, the built-in buffer I believe is about ten to fifteen seconds, and in this small window, uh, the content regulators have to uh, know when to you know uh, push the button, so to speak, to block the stream. But what kind of technology are they using? Because you know, if there are thousands and thousands of videos streaming at the same time, it's not possible for them to to look at it manually, right? So, what kind of technology do they employ to sort of you know, assess the streams for them. Yeah, so uh, content moderation or censorship is also a high-tech business. Uh, if you consider the just sure amount of content that's been created, you know, these are you know literally, you know, millions of hours of, you know, live streams and, you know, posts and text messages. Uh, it's just humanly impossible to monitor uh, everything. So the companies like Inker, they employ artificial intelligence, uh, uh, 
they use AI to uh, sort the kind of content into risk baskets. Uh, so for low risk content, and this would be like your cooking shows, you know, mother and child having a stroll on the beach, you know, that kind of content, uh, it's low risk. So you do not need uh, to pay as uh, close attention to it. And for those that are higher risk, for example, if there was a group of people, anything anything above three people in a live stream uh, would be categorized as higher risk and will be flagged for closer review. And they use image recognition basically, right? So for example, um, like their software might be able to detect maybe say somebody wearing a bikini, but if they detect that somebody's wearing a bikini, but you know the environment is a beach, that would probably be okay? No, the technology actually is not sophisticated enough to make that decision. So yes, they can recognize a bikini, but then it's being flagged for human review because only humans can decide whether the bikini is okay or not. What do I mean by this? You know, if someone is wearing a bikini and strolling on the beach with children running around and, you know, it's basically someone streaming their, uh, streaming their beachside vacation, it's fine. But if it's taking place inside a dimly lit uh, bedroom with soft romantic music, uh, the human can quite quickly decide, you know, where it's going and whether or not to ban it. And then another example is uh, political figures. Uh, so the image recognition can uh, very quickly detect if you have a, uh, if, if uh, you know, image of uh, Mao Zedong appears in the stream, but then it's flagged for a review. Uh, if it's a portrait of Mao Zedong on the, on the back of the wall, uh, then that's fine. But if you're trying to put on a mask of Mao Zedong and trying to do something funny, then it's not. So the technology is there to assist, uh, to sort into risk categories and then to assist the human uh, reviewers uh, so that they can play a closer look. So we published this story about Inca's content regulation team at a very interesting time because, you know, over the last couple of weeks, there has been a lot of discussion about the sort of like Australia's legislation on preventing violent videos on platforms uh, like Facebook and holding them accountable if they don't take it down quickly enough, as well as, you know, in countries like Singapore and in UK, where they have proposed laws or possible ways of sort of regulating social media. But this has also triggered like a spate of backlash. Yeah, there's, there's understandably a concern uh, in some quarters that uh, this would lead to uh, censorship uh, and that legitimate free speech uh, would be uh, clamped down on. It's, you know, it's part of a global conversation about what is acceptable and what's not uh, in online discourse. Uh, and I think, you know, in, if you look at the legislation that you just mentioned, there, there, there does seem to be a move towards uh, closer regulation of hate speech, of things that can incite violence against uh, specific groups of people, you know, which is really already protected by a lot of the laws in offline behavior. It's just that, you know, on online, uh, in the online space, I think the laws haven't actually caught up it's kind of interesting because social media, you know, and online sort of platforms to talk about is sort of uncharted territory, right? For a lot of countries, the speed that information propagates online on social media platforms like Facebook or Twitter or whatsoever is extremely fast. And it's transnational, right? I mean, if you think about it, 
uh, something that is clearly illegal in one jurisdiction may not be in another. But, you know, with the internet, there is no boundary. So this is very interesting because a couple of years back in 2016, when there were initial questions about whether or not there was Russian interference, for example, in um, the U.S. elections by trying to target, you know, and send out disinformation via Facebook, uh, Mark Zuckerberg basically came out to say that that was a crazy idea to think that that would be possible that Russia could be doing that. However, you know, now two years later, just last month, actually, Mark Zuckerberg basically sort of said that he would want governments to play a more active part in sort of regulating speech online. Like he basically admitted that, you know, they have too much power over the speech on their platforms. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's a very fine balance right now between balancing public interest and sort of freedom of expression. So governments, of course, are trying to put public interest first, right? Like after, you know, the live streaming of that very horrible attack in New Zealand and after all of these disinformation campaigns, they're, of course, very careful about having such things repeat themselves. But at the same time, we also need to consider that such regulation may impose on freedom of expression. Zen, you spoke to a bunch of uh, academics or you know people who are studying studying uh, online discourse. Uh, what what are they saying? How are they seeing this move uh, by governments worldwide uh, to reg- to take a more active role in regulating the internet? Yeah, so I just spoke to Aram Seinrei, who is an associate professor at American University School of Communication. So what Aram thinks is that basically, you know, um, governments are trying to do the right thing, like they're trying to put public interest first, right? And so there is sort of a very fine line with all these regulations to balance something like public interest and to make sure that we don't have really sort of terrible content on social media platforms versus not impeding people's freedom of speech. And the problem is because all of this is so new, like you know, in the history of the world, nobody has really tried to regulate social media platforms together with something like freedom of expression. And so this makes it a very complex issue that requires a lot of discussion. And that's why, you know, we have this really big global debate right now about whether or not something like social media should be regulated, whether we should even try, whether or not platforms should be regulating themselves better. So yeah, it's a multifaceted sort of very complex issue. Okay, so I think that is all the time we have this week on this very interesting issue. Thank you, Kongho, for coming on our podcast. Thank you. So if you would like to follow me on Twitter, my Twitter handle is at Zensu. That's at Z-E-N-S-O-O. Also, we're publishing great content like this Inca story that we just put out on scmp.com slash tech. Finally, this podcast is on Spotify, iTunes and Stitcher. So if you like us, please rate us five stars on iTunes. Yeah, so I'll see you next week. Bye.